Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdrafts up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome to the cast. We have a special guest today. Ben's out. We have... Ivan Hidalgo. <laughs> you don't need to dox yourself. <laughs> Ivan, uh, Ivan works with us at Charisma on Command. He's, he's crashing with me today, and he has a lot that he wants to share with us. A lot. First things, we could talk about business, though, since we've got Justin and Ivan and me, who traditionally play League of Legends and Dungeons and & Dragons in the same room. Ivan is from Canada, so he's a newcomer. But I want to talk about YouTube titles, which is often a call that we have, but I think makes sense Ooh. for this. So... For both of you guys, and I mentioned this, I find myself on YouTube watching, re-watching movies and videos that I've seen before that are sliced into different size pieces. And I think, even as a viewer, like I know that I'm going to watch that same James Bond scene that I've probably seen 25 times when they isolate the one moment when he knocks a guy out and it has a funny title like, this is what you get for pissing off James Bond and it's 13 seconds, I still leave satisfied every yeah. time. And I've seen them do this with MMA as well. So they'll be like, you know, the most ridiculous roundhouse kick. And it's a nine-second clip of a power kick in some random fight that I've never seen. And I, and I do it. So I think that for us, for everyone who was out there making content, figuring out ways to chop it up for different-sized audiences is going to become super, super important, including this podcast and including the main channel. But... There's a difference between like, okay, we got the highlight of eight seconds mm -hmm. or 13 seconds. Like, how can you monetize that on the back end? So, That's the issue. So right? what I saw is that I was, I started getting fed Dungeons and Dragons content from a group of people that I've never seen. And then their full Dungeons and Dragons videos that were two and a half hours long are now populating my homepage. Mm. Uh, and I clicked one and I watched a little bit of it. And right, they still have to grab me with that. But I think what it does is it feeds longer content that isn't immediately monetizable. Because when you're looking at a podcast like this, this two and a half hours long has a really confusing title and some guy that you've never seen before, you're probably not going to click it. Right. But if you get... 30 seconds or three minutes of a clip on a topic that you've already watched and then you see us again, there's a chance that you loop back into that longer content loop. So what we have to do, which these guys, the Dungeons and Dragons people didn't do well, but we know how to do is you link to the main channel in the description. You make sure that your tags are all set up so that you're creating that connection between the short channel and the main content and it channel. it should probably pop up in a suggested, right? Yep. Right underneath too. Well, it's not yet for these guys because they haven't built, they have two separate channels. They have the short channel and their main channel and they're not, there's no link that they built between the original episode and that. So I would go looking for like, what episode is this in? Because this looks like a really cool scene. And I couldn't find it in the description. So that's something that we definitely need to do better. And if you're out there making content, I think it's just something to keep an eye on. You're going to start seeing TikTok style content everywhere, but it's not going to replace long content. It's actually just going to operate as a feeder into it's it. Gonna, yeah, it's going to supplement it. And we can do it easily too, because it's like, all right, we make a one minute video of Joe Rogan getting annoyed about Neil deGrasse Tyson mm -hmm. and then we link to that video that we made the entire breakdown of Joe Rogan right exactly and the thing that we also talked about but I see is that there's different title formats like for the shorter the content 
the more the title becomes the content. So for our mm-hmm. videos, it's like how to command respect, and then it's 10 minutes. But for these ones, there's it's often it's like the setup to a joke or the setup to a moment is the title of it. So it's like this is what happens when uh, Ryan, what's that guy's name in uh, the UFC who's just a leg lock wizard? Is it Ryan Hall? No idea. I think it's like this is what happened when Ryan Hall grabs your leg. And then I saw it's, that. It's like a it's, song, yeah, it's, it's like a song of him just immediately tapping BJ Penn. Yeah. And it's literally half of the video is in the title. Right. And so it's, you would never name a UFC fight YouTube video, this is what happens when Ryan Hall grabs your leg. Because that's not, it's, it's Ryan Hall versus BJ Penn, UFC, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have to figure out is what is our format for five-minute clips? What is our format for 50-second clips? Uh, what and what is the format for longer podcasts? This what is, type of content do you think like that wouldn't work for? Like I was thinking comedy. You can't really just have the, amazing. You just can't have the punchline like thirty seconds pun, punchline. Don't you need like the build up and like the trance beforehand? So I would think the same thing except Smosh. I sent you those videos of it's literally they have the uh, they have this thing where it's one guy sits in a stool with water in his mouth. Did I send this to you? Mm-mm. Okay, the guy sits in a stool with water in his mouth. Pull and it up, Justin. The game is... <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the game is you have to get the guy in the stool to spit out his water, to do a spit take. And so people come from behind a curtain and they tell jokes. The title of the video is Say What You Will About Pedophiles, dot, dot, dot. And then you're like, oh my God, what is this? So you click the video, it's 30 seconds long. And it's this girl who comes out and she goes, say what you will about pedophiles. And he starts to like, <laughs> she goes, at least they slow down in school zones. <laughs> and then that's the video. And he spits out his water. That's it? Just that's the, the video. One? It's one joke, man. And it's, I watched it probably four times. I was like, that it was well, that was a well-delivered joke. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, instead of going from comedy special, which is called whatever, Jerry Seinfeld or Andrew Schultz, you're going to content which is a singular joke, which can oftentimes fit within a minute. And then you've also got what we've seen before, which is the uh, Netflix style, like Dave Chappelle on BLM, which is like mm. his his segment that uh, from his comedy special on whatever, BMN, BL, I don't think he talked about BLM in the last one, but shotguns or, yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, and all of those will attract a different audience, will get shown on different areas of youtube ones in the shorts area like and i think all can be connected to get people eventually to do what you want which is to become fans that are willing to dedicate an hour and a half but you have to i think increasingly earn 30 seconds then five minutes and do you think then it's a like a funnel segment. of attention starting with like 15 30 and then an hour podcast for example i think it's becoming that because that's how i've seen myself and now i like am aware of this i think it's called dimension 20 this new uh, Dungeons and Dragons group that I'd never heard or seen before and would have no way of coming across except for their short clips, which somehow made it to my well, attention. That's you. Like, you've also had long-form podcasts. You're also an older gentleman. <laughs> like, what do you think about the newer, like, I don't know. What do they call them? Like, Gen Z? Even younger Gen than Z. Gen Z? I think that's you. I'm, I'm around the cusp of Gen Z and millennial. millennial. Yeah, 25. And so what do I think about what? Like, that younger age... Are they? Do you think they're watching podcasts, or is it just straight TikTok? I have TikTok no idea. Because it seems like all the massive companies right now are investing more into shorter and shorter content. Yes, but they also follow the same structure of they always have this, like every single platform starts with Instagram was 15-second videos, and then it became a minute. TikTok's it's minute-long right. videos. They're talking about making it three minutes. Yeah. They start with whatever they have to do to capture attention, and then they also realize, like, 
It's not a lot you can do with someone's attention in 56 seconds. So we then they need to expand it. So mm. I do think that the way that people are re- are the way that media is developing is you have to be able to capture attention in that short period of time and then yeah, develop some sort of a funnel to get someone to be interested enough in you to come to your concert or to come to your live show or to invest in whatever product you sell. Yeah. Um makes sense. But yeah, so we can talk the specifics and we don't need to get into this on the podcast, but I wanted to flag that for both you guys because I think that particularly this podcast with different titles and thumbnails could do a lot more views if we if we cared. Um, not that we have to, but that was just one thing. Cool. And I have some recommendations of channels for you guys to watch out. Do you want to do more business before we go to other stuff? I know you've got some crypto that you want to talk Let's about. Let's do more business. <laughs> Let's do more business. I wanna, be- let, let me ask you something, <laughs> Mr. Charlie Hooper. Uh where do you see, I know this is a pretty basic question, but I'm actually interested. Like, where do you see Charisma on Command in, like, five years? Do you do you feel like you don't know personally? I see myself doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, as you start handing off the business more to me, mm-hmm. hopefully we find a script writer. After mm-hmm. that's done, like, there's nothing else just to grow. You just mm-hmm. grow on the internet. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, making some money. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you see yourself placing that money? As, like, the CEO, that's kind of your job, right? To figure out where is this income going? Where are we going to put it? Yeah. What are we going to do with it? Well, I think you know some of the answer to this um, and to what you were saying because we've we've tried to hire script writers on COC. I actually am not uh, – we've talked about this as well. I don't believe that we're going to be successful. We spent over a year and tried training half a dozen to a dozen people uh, with time, money, all of those sorts of things and have – yet to make a script that we felt was up to the level that we'd like it to be. So I don't know that we're going to be successful there. I do think that what we can do is have a strong catalog that we slowly add to and subdivide it into smaller pieces so that people who haven't seen it are being exposed to it. Or Building people, that funnel out, right. Or people that have watched 50 of our videos and consider themselves serious fans. I mean, we have 300 videos. Mm-hmm. And some of our better ones are on lesser-known people that – you you would never watch because they only have 75,000 views and it doesn't really call to you and there's not Robert Downey Jr., but it's it's good content. So to find a way to get that in front of people, I think, is is something that's worthwhile. But where I see it in five years is uh, doing teaching people the stuff that Ben and I are, are working on today, which is increasingly psychedelic-related. So I think it would be partnering and or owning our own psychedelic clinic where we vetted people and they were able to come in and have experiences and probably not with me directing them perhaps with me on premise somewhere to you be know, the mastermind <laughs> in the shadows in the shadows lurking dosing people <laughs> <laughs> no the less i have to do with the the medical aspect of it the better um but i do think that that's that's the direction is uh psychedelics internal work therapeutic context all moving those. away from charisma going more towards Emotional mastery type of stuff. Yes, but that's the new content. Still uh, creating and supporting all the charisma stuff because like we've talked about, I think that the business is, without intending it to be, just a time capsule of the stuff that we were working on three to five years ago. And there's no need to throw that out because there's going to be a fresh batch of 20-year-olds coming in that aren't interested in emotional mastery but really are interested in how to get a promotion. (laughs) And uh, even 20 is a little bit young for that. Maybe 20, they just want to learn how to get a date with someone that they like. Mm. So walking them through that, through the different aspects or the stages of their predictable evolution up to, hey, like you did it, you got the job, you feel really comfortable with all this kind of stuff. Something feels like it's missing. Maybe this is the way that, maybe this is something that can help you uh, in the next 
part of your journey. What age do you think that usually hits for, for people? I think prior to, uh, what is it, 2021, it was like 40. It was the midlife crisis. I think it's being moved up, though. I think people are getting... Younger. Yes, I think people are becoming disillusioned with the corporate existence at younger and younger ages. But I think before it was like 45, 50 was where people were like, what am I doing this for? That's the midlife crisis. I'm, I'm seeing it more now like 35-ish, yeah. 30 yeah, I mean, you're on, so Ivan was on TikTok. <laughs> I've been, I haven't had a channel called The Golden Hippo. If anyone is, is out there on TikTok, <laughs> please bring my channel back. <laughs> he was, he was taken down for, uh, spoke out for against crypto. That. Do you want to talk about crypto? Yeah, sure. So, so Ivan, Ivan has uh, been our, Ivan has been our kind of our COO. He helps us get a lot of projects done, but also on the side as he was hanging out, he was just, Ivan's been quite successful in his own life. He sold his business prior to joining us, has more money in the bank than I do. Um, really wanted to work with us because he likes what we do and was also making quite a bit of money from his personal investments, which included long-term investments and also ridiculously uh, They're all risky. Day, you were day trading for a minute. Yeah, well, that's how I started. Yeah. And then I went back to it. And I completely failed again. I didn't learn my lesson the first time. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, now it's all you're, you're actually wrong at one point. You have more money in the bank than I do. I have like zero dollars. That's like my investment philosophy. Oh, I don't you have keep, you have a higher net worth. Yeah. Yeah. OK, got it. I don't keep like the second I get paid or get any type of income at all. Mm -hmm. I throw it onto investments because mm -hmm. I don't want to see. Well, first off, I'm in a lucky place where I don't need the money consistently. I mm -hmm. just like pay the bills. The rest goes straight into investments, whether that's mm -hmm. stocks, real estate, or crypto. Which, <laughs> which, which has been, been your favorite. Which has been the probably the best investment by far. Yeah. It's only it's when you crazy. sell. So yeah. We talk so crypto prices are insane. They're crazy. And they make no sense. Yeah. Right? Like Ethereum being worth four hundred trillion dollars four hundred billion dollars doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Right. There's not much you can do on the blockchain. It's very expensive. Uh, it's very slow, but it's it's there's so much money in mm -hmm. the system right now that everyone's just throwing it at everything that has potential. Mm -hmm. and that's what we saw. Really, the past year has been like the uprising of younger generation getting into investing, and I think that's because of apps and companies like Robinhood that just make it quick and easy, and it's free to do. And now with the crypt whole crypto phase, like people are moving out of those. Um, what you call meme stocks like GameStop mm -hmm. and AMC and yeah. and even Tesla at some point it's just like oh it just keeps going up yeah um now they're moving into crypto and we're seeing some crazy crazy <laughs> scammers which I tried to out well, I did out on my so, uh, so just for a second Ivan started this Golden Hippo channel which yes. was his like investing TikTok and I think mostly it was not particular it wasn't picks or anything like that you told no me I like I never well, well I'm super picky I only invested in three cryptos. Mm -hmm. Ethereum, Bitcoin, and Cardano. But after a while, I was like, this is, investing is, in my eyes, for the long term, is simple. It's like the hardest part is researching. Take two to three months to research your investment. Once it fits a certain amount of fundamentals, like principles that you have, all right, then you just dollar cost average in. Mm -hmm. And you only sell. For people who don't know, that means having a set amount of money that you want to invest into something and not putting it all in on day one because it could go tank 20%. So you put in... Tell your story about Cardano. <laughs> no, there's no done. story. There's no story. I don't want to talk about the specifics. Okay. I don't want to... I really... One of the things that I hate in the crypto space is influencers putting money into a cryptocurrency, then talking about it, 
and then writing it up. Like Dave Porter and I just did this with Safe Moon, and I think it's I think it's despicable. Um, especially after the whole GameStop thing where he acted like a champ and then yeah, sold at eighty sold. on the way down and then only announced it after. Like I, I think that's really sleazy. So I don't want to talk about you've already mentioned the names, but um, I'm we're not, not gonna, he- I'm not, not heavy move. into anything. Just, we're not going to move. Those and I don't markets. know. And I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I know. But I still think it's it's just um, it's bad form yeah. to, to encourage investments and something that fundamentally, to be clear, I don't understand at all. My the only reason that I have any cryptocurrency is FOMO from from all of the, from missing out. And, and then I only put in uh, like far, far. I think I put in two percent of the money that I had. And then Bitcoin exploded, so it became more than two percent of my money. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's I'm I'm not a crypto diehard, nor am I a crypto hater. I just I don't want to hype it. Yeah, I think this year is uh, it's been a great example of why regulations and regulatory bodies are necessary when it comes <laughs> to finances, because we've just seen so much market manipulation, like, and just straight out, flat out, Dave Portnoy saying, "Hey." I'm buying this. Let's pump this up to the moon. Like it's, yeah. it's, uh, it sucks. Cause I kind of like the wild, wild west of crypto, but it's coming. It's coming. Well, beyond regulation, we've also seen, and this is, so we were looking yesterday, uh, us printed like 40% of all the dollars in existence in the last 18 months. And basic economics says that that at some point has to shake out in the term of increased prices or decreased value of your dollar unless something weird happens like you win a war or invent nuclear fusion and all of a sudden you're extremely productive or something like that which we weren't because we were all locked inside for Mm -hmm. uh over a year and so one of the things that we talked about is we we were under the impression that charisma university was selling particularly well throughout the pandemic and then after we're like oh my gosh like what luck people are at home and they're buying even more uh, didn't make any sense at all. But it did make sense because the sales were particularly spiking on days where the checks were going out, the stimulus checks were going out. Yep. And if you look at it, you look at like the increase that we've had and you subtract 40%, <laughs> which is the, the, what I think it inflation. The rate of inflation. It's not actually the rate of inflation. Like consumer goods have seen far less inflation than that. But at some point it has to shake out somewhere. Yeah, it uh, depends, man. Lumber is up 200%. Yes, certain things are up 200%. Certain things are only up 5%. But uh, inflation is going to shake out somewhere. And if you subtract some of the inflation out, we go, oh, maybe we weren't growing <laughs> in yeah. the same way that we kind thought we flat. were. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point. That's my argument against, and that's how I'm investing. Uh, I think inflation is not here to stay. I think it's going to come for, or it's here. I think it's only going to stay around for three to six months uh, because of what you said. There's a deflationary aspect that has to happen, like winning a war, like some type of technological advancement, like nuclear fusion, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's what uh, this whole lockdown really did. Like everything is going more towards tech and tech is naturally deflationary, right? Why is that? Because it's more productive? Because it's more... Yeah, it makes things less... It gets less expensive over time, Mm -hmm. right? And exactly right. It's more efficient. Mm -hmm. It's more efficient over time. So that is fighting the force technology versus the insane amount of money printing coming in. So I think the reason why we're seeing crazy inflation and all these things are happening right now is because we're the way inflation is measured, at least the way the Fed, the Federal Reserve measures inflation is off of based off of the last year. So last year around this time, COVID hit. So are we allowed to say that, by the way? Are we going to get Yeah, yeah you can Are we going to say COVID? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes, you couldn't at first. Yeah. You can now. 
okay, so COVID hit. So we're, we're going to be basing those numbers off, these numbers off these coming months versus when COVID was hitting and we were, there's no inflation at all. Mm-hmm. So they're going to look awful. Um, but then after that, I think it's going to go back to normal. Yeah. What should we do about, and so you're, you're kind of in charge of this, uh, the wages of our contractors and employees and people that we work with. Uh, people have gotten, you know, raises with their job output. Should mm-hmm. we peg that to some kind of inflation number? Because I was looking like, just randomly, I went to go to the the foot spa that I go to for massages. And, you know, prices were up uh, $5 on a $40 massage, which is, I don't know, one eighth, which is over 10%. Uh, and of course, that happens from time to time. But I don't think it was purely coincidental. Like, I think that we're yeah. going to start to see consumer prices, which if that is increasingly moving towards a a consumer service go up. Um, haven't seen rents rise or anything like that, but should we, I think we should, the question is to what number, how do we, how do we peg the wages that we, we're, we're in a weird space cause we're international, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not like we all work and live in the same environment. Yeah, yeah. So it's like inflation is going to go up some places. It's like, it's going to affect some mm-hmm. countries more than others. So I think just starting with a conversation, just like, Hey, I, and I'm out of curiosity, but also like, have a conversation in the background of mm-hmm. maybe we should raise this person's wage because price of whatever went up or rents went up in the Philippines, for example, yeah. or wherever. Um, starting with the conversation there, it is interesting. It's harder and harder to get people to work in uh, if they're doing minimum if they're getting minimum wage. Yeah, I've seen the states right. Like, didn't they were paying people in? I think Miami. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if this is 100 percent right, but in Miami they were paying people. Uh, to come in for a McDonald's interview, you know that was like the buzz headline that I yeah, saw. Yeah, that's that what I saw. Yeah, that's is that true? That's insane. I don't know, but I think I mean it's it's obvious if if you're collecting unemployment benefits and they are similar to or exceed what you're going to make by flipping burgers for forty hours a week, obviously you're going to not do that. And again, this is only going to stay until the checks start like run out, and they're going to mm-hmm. run out September. That's mm-hmm. when things should go back to normal. And for me, that's when I'm like, okay, that's when I'm going to think about, okay, should I stop investing in? Because this is not financial advice, <laughs> but uh, I take super high risk and then I have very calm investments. Calm being gold that doesn't move at all, just sits. And then super high risk is all tech stocks and all crypto. And I just plow money into there whenever. And I just, I'm not going to sell in 10 years. Um, but you're young, you know, you're 25. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm 25. I can take that. Right. And, uh, I can wait a long time and I don't like touching. I don't like selling at all. I'm not good at selling. <laughs> um, but my plan is, okay, if, in, if my theory is correct, that inflation's only here for the next three to six months, then I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And if not, then you I'm think inflation's trouble. only here for the next three to six months. Yeah. Because the because... way they're going to measure it, the way that the fed is measuring it. Well, forget how fed is measuring. Here's my question. You're, you're actually Canadian, but say you're in the U.S. You had a dollar in 2019 or $5 in 2019. Do you think you will be able to purchase the same amount of, of consumer not. goods? Well, okay, well, so, no. so. So the Fed wants inflation. That's a good thing for them. Um, well, I, well, to start, can you just clarify what you think will happen? Do you think that you'll be able to purchase much less with your $5 in, yeah, going like, forward? It, that's just what happens, right? We're living a, in a type of economy where you print tons of money. Obviously, the value of the dollar goes down. And then it's not that the house is getting more expensive. It's that your dollar is getting less valuable. So, so you have to use more of those to purchase goods. 
Well, why do you think that inflation is only here to stay for three to six months? Then, if you think this this type that, of crazy hyperinflation for like with like wood, oh yeah, where things, where things are up two hundred sixty six percent for yeah. the cost, and that's raw materials. The prices, apparently, according to a video from Jake Tran that I have not double checked, <laughs> are are super high. And there's a ton of reasons for that. It's not just because of the money printing. It's a uh, a bunch of stuff happened, like the Suez Canal stopped everything from moving for a long time like that impacted mm-hmm. things and it's going to keep impacting things for months to come it's that little short stoppage um so yeah I, that's that's my thesis let's see if i'm see if i'm right i don't know i'm i'm, I'm scared but i don't know neither, of us, of, neither of us has any idea i'm just i'm just afraid yeah like i i view incorrectly i think macroeconomics like microeconomics which is to say if i i don't know if i had a certain amount of stuff between you know, if I had uh, a little economy in my family where you could pay to not do chores and that sort of thing, and I yeah. injected 40% into the money stream, I would expect the price of not doing chores to rise 40%. It would happen in short order because it's a smaller economy there, but who at, knows yeah, what complicating the day, factors exist. Macroeconomy is like astrology. It's just like, who knows? <laughs> like, I'm not really sure because we can't really trust uh, like the majority of the market trusts the Federal Reserve and their numbers, mm-hmm. but some of them don't. And at the end of the day, it's just like, what do people believe in? Just like the dollar, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we believe it works, so it works. Same thing with macro numbers. Yeah. We believe them, so let's keep investing the way we've been investing. Got it. Well, no more speculation here because I don't, I don't really know. Um, what I, was, I did have one more business thing, I think. There was... Uh, you weren't around for this phase as much, but before I made myself kind of difficult to get in touch with via email on purpose because what you start to receive as you get uh, a little bit larger is a lot of inbound messages that look like offers but are really takes. And one of the most common ones is from uh, managers and multi-channel networks. And these mm. are the, these are the type of organizations. Oh, I was around. One of the first projects I ever did was like clearing up your, <laughs> your email inbox. inbox. So yeah, you saw making some sure you had a ton of time. Hey, we, we'd like to take 10% of your cha- of your ad yeah, sense yeah. and we can help you do collaborations and this, that. What was interesting is I, I was speaking to someone who had a breakout success on TikTok, almost at a million um, subs very, very quickly, started getting these inbound things. And what what this person said that they wanted was they just wanted to feel established, which is why they were going to say yes. I was like, but, but what can't you do that this person can do? They, I don't know. They can get brand deals. I was like, we can get brand deals. Just reach out to the brands. I don't know. I just want to feel established came to be the thing. And I realized that uh, if you're out there and you're, you're doing your own business, there are so many, uh, I, I say predatory lightly, but there's so many predatory businesses that, feast on that desire to feel established where they'll contact you and tell you hey i can get you in forbes you know as a contributing writer or hey we'll, we'll take 10 percent of your adsense and what they what they ultimately do all of them is siphon money out of your new but functioning business into their uh business which just deals in prestige which has no value once you realize it <laughs> right if you do join an mcn i don't know a single person who's ever been satisfied with their mcn because they promise you they're going to set you up with collabs they promise you that they're going to set you up with all these cool analytics and they give you nothing and then they get you in contracts for three years to take 10% of your growing AdSense. Mm. Um, That's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned with working with you guys is uh, at the end of the day, there's only two things in business. And if it's your business, it's like, are you having fun enjoying life mm -hmm. while running it? And does everything around you have some type of cost to it? Like that everything does have a cost? Sorry. Like, are you making money from every action that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's, 
especially with the internet, there's so many different opportunities. Like there's so many projects that we could be working on. And that ROI spreadsheet of just like this, like let's have fun doing it. Does it make money in a certain mm-hmm. amount of months? And boom, we're ready to go. I feel like a lot of people, other than predatory services and businesses, like they fall prey to just the unlimited amount of opportunities there are. Mm-hmm. And they go for like, all right, this gets me like a thousand likes or a million mm-hmm. views or something. And like at the end of the day, what does that actually mean? Like how is that impacting you other than prestige mm-hmm. and making you feel good? And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, are you in business to... Oh, then then this arguments like, does that make you feel good? Does that make you happy? Mm-hmm. Like that prestigeness, like I'm in Forbes and I can go tell all my <laughs> friends that. And like that makes me happy, right? Some yeah. people are tied to that. Well, we um, played that game, which is why. So I think our spreadsheet, like Ivan is saying, we have a spreadsheet where we list all of our projects and then we have a couple columns. And there's really only two metrics. Ivan says it, fun and money. And it can make no money. Like this podcast makes no money. <laughs> but we're like, hey, this is fun. And we mm-hmm. enjoy it and we think it has. And actually there is an, a like an impact column that is, is does, does it have a positive impact beyond ourselves that we feel like is a moral good? Um, and we weigh those, but those are the only three things. And it's very purposeful to remove, is it exciting? Is it shiny? Will I get my name in lights? Yeah. Because we have pursued all of those things in the past, thought that they would contribute to happiness. They never do, ever. Like they're, they're only exciting at the beginning. Once you achieve getting the blue check or getting the thousand likes, it's completely empty and meaningless and you just want more and you don't even have any money to show for it (laughs) at the end of the day so that's why we do those sort of spreadsheets um is just to focus i think on the three priorities which is like fun money does do something good um but yeah it's just interesting to see how easy it is to get sucked into prestige with with all of these kinds of things the other thing is that and i and i've and i've fallen victim to this before um there's a belief that you want, as you're running a business, someone to come make it work for you. Like, oh, if someone would just come in and do the marketing. Like, oh, my God, if someone would just come in and handle this. That's why you guys hired me, right? <laughs> well, no, we, you didn't show up at our doorstep. And and quite frankly, we had to train you a lot, you know, in order to help you, even after selling your business. There, mm-hmm. you, we thought, Ivan had a business that was, it was in the Ty Lopez form. You're actually one of the few people I can think of that, like, Ty Lopez was really good for you. Yeah, so a lot. So I'll finish this point and then tell that story. But basically that... If you are starting a business, you've got uh, the answer is not in your inbox. No one is waiting in your inbox to explode your business for you. Nobody's going to come in and do it for you. And there's always this uh, where's the answer desire to shortcut it. Where's the answer? You got you to do the work. You got to you got to be uh, not even do the work. It's not just about the grind. It's about intelligent application of your efforts. But other people, if they could do that, would not be waiting in your inbox to do it on your behalf for the business that you're primarily the owner of. Yeah. Um, all these people that want to come in and partner with you, in my experience, it's siphon every time. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't find partners. It's just they're not they're not looking for you <laughs> in most cases. So in any event, do you want to tell a little bit about your Ty Lopez thing? Because I think it's it well, is interesting. We say Ty Lopez, but it was that's one of the like twenty courses that I took. But you you did social media marketing agency, which is digital marketing. Sh- straight up what he was yeah. teaching people to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, took Ty Lopez's course and a bunch of other ones, and I learned how to do digital marketing. I was working in sales before. I had a business called uh, Legal Shield before, and I was just selling legal plans. Took his courses, learned some digital marketing, and it was the early years of digital marketing. Um, and I built a business where I had about 21 dental clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I sold, I had 23 and it was fantastic and i told i was speaking with henry your younger brother today and uh, or yesterday and 
I was saying like, if I had to, if I know money in the bank and I need to start a business again, it's, it's that it's cause you only need two skills, sales and digital marketing. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a ton of businesses right now that don't know what they're doing. Uh, well, to be clear, so you're, you're kind of using buzzwords that people might not use. You, I, I don't know about legal shit, but the second one that you have, you were going into dentist's office yep. and saying, hey, let me run your new customer acquisition on Facebook. That was nerve wracking. The first yeah. guy I hired was a sales guy because I yeah. did not like <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, so I did that. And then but, and then you were going on to Facebook and when people would you know move to new town, you would target them with a Facebook ad be like need dental care like you know free first cleaning or or so I tra- price yeah I drove like around that. a lot so like every town I split into uh sometimes half sometimes quarters because the way you can advertise on Facebook is by like uh, uh geography like this yeah. uh, number of kilometers yeah. or miles since I'm in the state <laughs> uh and, and in a certain radius so that's what I would do and I would like own that spot for that dental clinic right because a lot of people they they make the mistake not to get too technical of like overlapping their people and overlapping their so clients. So two competing dentists and now you're, now you guys are cannibalizing one another's exactly. sales. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Um, and I sold that and then just out of the blue, I saw a video of Charlie in Brazil looking tan <laughs> and wonderful. No, you, you saw that and then you sold your business. You weren't going to sell. That's true. You guys kind of convinced me to sell it. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I don't really like what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, you say that you would, would you still tell people to do that? Because you're the one person I know that's done it well. What I see far more often are people coming up to small and medium sized businesses saying that they're going to run their Instagram and going for the metric of likes. And they're like, look, we've got 3000 followers and 400 likes. And they're like, yeah, but no one came to my restaurant. Like that, that doesn't help me. So you're, you're one of the few people I know that was able to actually deliver more money to their clients than they took in fees and i think it was because you were in a fairly open market with a very high ticket person like once you go to a dentist if you don't move and he doesn't screw up that's your dentist for the rest of your life yeah the ltv for for a client ltv is lifetime is like, value it's like, by the way yeah sorry it's <laughs> Keep okay. using all these buzzwords. I'm, I'm used to, to uh speaking to a, an audience that doesn't have all the same assumptions as, Got it. as i might so the lifetime value of a client going into a dental clinic on average is two thousand mm-hmm. dollars so I was charging my max package was $20,000. So if I got 10, yeah. gravy, right? Yeah. For the month. Um, but that's not the case necessarily with what I see a lot of people doing in these social media marketing agencies, which I'm, would you still recommend it today? Like you don't think, you don't think that that field has been collapsed upon? Cause I saw like people doing it with dentists and then chiropractors and then every, every high value thing started to get moved in and at least in every major area. Well, I think monopolies have moved in now. Like mm-hmm. they've moved in and purchased all the good assets and the good people. Like exactly somebody bought yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't know how it is in the States, but um, that's what happened to me. That's what I've, a couple of my friends and Facebook groups that I, fo- I used to follow, all their stuff got bought out. And so now, do you think that there's still space? for Because there are people out there. That yes, are, for sure. If okay. you want to make like $10,000 a month, which is mm-hmm. a lot of money. Um, yeah, you could have like four or five clients. There's always, there's, so many businesses out there that need help selling. Let me yeah. let me let me play devil's advocate, and you can sure. you can fight me on this. Uh, agencies seem like such a frustrating business model. It's awful. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not arguing that. Like that is a uh, because you're you're dealing you're doing sales, which I don't like. You're sitting in front of a computer and doing digital marketing, which is not fun. And yeah. then the worst part is you're doing you're working with clients, and you have a job. Yeah, again, 
Uh, so there's not you a lot of several freedom. bosses instead of one. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Several bosses. Uh, there's not a lot of freedom, but, uh, and it doesn't really, it's not pure scale. Like the nice thing about digital courses is the difference between selling one and selling a hundred is not a ton. It's maybe a little bit more like server space, mm-hmm. but for you to scale up operations, you got to get an extra sale guy and then you got to get an extra account manager. And like it's more and more headaches, come yes, in. more and more individuals required to serve more and more people. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Interesting. You can, that can be your recommendation. It's different than what I would have expected though. Why? What, what would you go? I wouldn't recommend agencies. Really? Everyone I know who ran an agency, they're like, Did oh, you? it was fun. I, but I would never, ever, ever in a million years do it again. And they were doing it five to 10 years ago when it was a less crowded space mm. before Ty Lopez told everyone and their brother to try an agency. If you had zero dollars, what business would you start today? If I had zero dollars and I couldn't do, I mean, I would do YouTube because that's my expertise. Pretend that I didn't have YouTube expertise. Yeah, no expertise. You had to learn something really quick. I, would, I mean, this is what I've told people. I would go to the four hour work week. I would make a list of all of my hobbies and a list of everything that the world needed. Right now, what am I? Uh, the what am I really good at? I've I've got I've gotten hyper specialized, but I would be like, oh, I like Dungeons and Dragons. Is there any space for a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> thing? You know, I yeah. like. Uh, I'm getting wrist pain from playing League of Legends. Has that been taken care of? You know what I mean? Like, I would start looking into the problems that. I encounter and the things that I'm good at in my life and just see if the solution had been made. And that might be a product, but it it would actually, it would be a product and or service to a niche audience, which is of course what you were selling, but it wouldn't be an agency. It would be something that could be scaled either through manufacturing or ideally digitally. Right. Um, I don't think it would be a service that got larger and larger and larger. Like it wouldn't be a coaching industry business where I had to hire more coaches to teach more people or more account managers to manage more accounts or anything like that. Got it. I like lean. Yeah. I mean, you see. Yeah. Yeah. We're in, we're in Ben's apartment right now. <laughs> like it's very, it's very skinny. Do you think we're moving to a point where, cause this whole uh, working for someone nine to five is fairly new, right? It's only like mm-hmm. 80 to a hundred years old. I feel like now and more and more, especially in the past five to 10 years, we've been moving more like, culturally into like entrepreneurship. Obviously, there's, it's skewed. That's such a tainted word. But people are opening up more businesses online. It's easier than ever. There's more services than ever. Um, the whole Naval Ravikant argument of like, we're going to digitally be nomads. We're just going to wake up. There's going to be some type of Upwork app where we're, we're going to have specialized skills, hyper specialized mm-hmm. like you are. And we're just going to wake up with a bunch of contracts. We do them and then we go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like that's an ideal world. I don't know. Do you think that's going to happen? Because what I've seen and that has really surprised me as I've worked with people and, and you have helped me a lot in managing this because I'm not the best at it, is that uh, employees, contractors, people have needs uh, that are far more important to them than money. Uh, and that includes feeling close to their coworkers and feeling inspired by the mission of what the organization is doing. And I think almost, at least on our team, almost, almost everybody would is make, would trade money off before they would sacrifice. I think we're spoiled with their team. I think we have a really good team. We have a plus players and they don't, they don't put dollars first. Mm -hmm. Right. They, and you're right. They love talking with one another. Yeah. Um, Ivan helps me. Ivan gives a lot of TLC to the team because I, I don't have the bandwidth for it sometimes. <laughs> My brain is, uh, it is interesting as I've gotten uh, to, you know, whatever the senior position is, that more of my job, if I'm doing it well, is in helping the team 
which sometimes requires me to be more chipper and encouraging than I feel like naturally being. Mm. You know, and you've told us that I, what is, what is the word that you have for me? We call him the overlord. (laughs) (laughs) Who is we? Don't worry about it, man. It's the team. (laughs) I'm not naming any names out here. I'm not going to get anyone fired. Yeah, what are you talking about? (laughs) And, uh, I mean, you could tell me if I'm missing something, but my impression of it is that I am uh, exceedingly approachable in my demeanor, but not approachable in my position, if that makes sense. 100%. Yeah. If we all worked in an office here, Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone would come up to me and be like, hey, Charlie, help me out with this. Yeah, yeah. But because it's only like certain calls and then you come in with this very specific knowledge, mm-hmm. it's like people respect that, that, that knowledge has authority. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they also know it's like, okay, well you started this business, this business is your baby. Uh, yeah. There's just a lot of authority coming in. Mike Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> All right, relax, dude. <laughs> I'm just screaming at people. Get the fuck out of my kitchen. <laughs> no, but overall I think, um, Having both you and Ben as bosses, even though that's so weird to say, because I don't really see you guys as, as yeah. bosses. I don't think every anyone actually does. Um, just people with very. What about you, Justin? Tell the truth. Tell the truth, Justin. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Me, when people ask me, I just say you guys are my bosses. Yeah, but I, yeah. I I might not feel like that because I don't normally play League of Legends with my bosses or yeah. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. That's yeah. like very atypical. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's uh, you guys are very. I don't know if the, the right word is dynamic, but you're very different. Ben and, and I. And yeah, and the way you approach problems. Like very, Ben is very like, let's get this done perfectly. We're going to have a plan, and here is everything that we're going to do. And you're just like, yeah, let's uh, give it a shot. Interesting. Do and then you help afterwards, like as it's going on. In the way that we interact with you guys, meaning that I will yeah. let you take first crack is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're a lot less hands off. That's been, well, one, it's a degree of laziness, but also it's on purpose. I mean, you see me struggle sometimes where like, I'll feel like I know the answer to a problem and you'll have to be like, don't tell me, like, let me try to figure it out. Um, I have to bite my tongue because I want to go faster than we should because I've spent a lot of time thinking about something and you maybe haven't. And I just want to tell you what it is rather than letting you go through the process of getting there yourself, which is more valuable to both of us in the end. Mm hmm. But I'm lazy, and I just sometimes, that laziness comes through in trying to do things quicker rather than trying to do things for the long term. Do you have any other topics that you wanted to? Let's see. Meet Kevin for governor. (laughs) I wish I could vote for you, meet Kevin. This state is a mess. What do you think? You live here. You have the right to vote. Me, right? Kevin is a YouTuber. Who, oh, yeah. Who uh. is um, running for governor of California. And he's running against Gavin Newsom, who was recalled, or at least there was the initial, I don't know what technically the term is, but he there was an initial vote to say, will there be a recall election? And the answer was yes. Mm. And now the different candidates can run against him in the middle of his term, essentially. Mm. Uh and so meet Kevin, who is a YouTuber, who is kind of a finance guy and an investment guy, is running for governor of California. And you've been a follower, a disciple. I've been a follower since, like, yeah, I'm a disciple of meet Kevin. <laughs> uh, I've been following him since he had, like, 20,000 subscribers. Now he has, like, 1.4 or 5 million. Yeah. Um, he's a smart guy. Seems like an ethical guy. But at the end of the day, I don't know him. Uh, 
I would like to walk through some points and just say, sure, see what you uh, what you think. Well, the first thing that I saw, I, I watched him giving a speech, I think, in Venice on camera. And this is I, I'm not a big fan of Gavin Newsom, but my my sense was he was saying he said the phrase like no state taxes, and the response from the audience was silence. To which I just remembered I was, and I'm not saying that he's not a friendly guy or a nice guy to hang out with, but there is a there is a political charisma that I think one needs. If especially when you don't have the backing of an entire party and all that kind of stuff, it's like argument he, for Trump, right? If you want to Donald Trump it, you need to be able to take any crowd of any size and get them to rally, riled up. And I didn't see that in that one clip. Not saying that he couldn't learn it or do it, but with that missing piece, he takes what is already a long shot into an impossibility, mm. in my opinion. Not to say that it wouldn't be good, but he's, yeah. There's the ability to to foment. Uh, excitement is the first piece of politics, and I and he had such you think a that's winning the first piece. You yeah. don't think having a plan and, and no. setting up? You think having a plan? I think it'd be nice if that were the world. You think you have to have a plan? I don't think you need a plan. I think that you need to be able to literally so just what popularity I said, to drive excitement. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then if you have a plan, great. That's that that'll that'll make you <laughs> that'll, <laughs> that'll probably make you a good official. But but winning an election is is. I do not think about having a clarity of a or even a plan at all. Mm. It's just about getting people to vote for you. All right. Well, let's go through these points. All right. Pull it up. Justin. <laughs> all right. Number one, like you said, no state income tax on the first $250,000 of income. No California tax return required. I won't go through all the little points, but yeah. What do you think about that? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I like, Philosophically, I don't know how to practically implement this because there's a lot of when when it comes to taxes, there's a lot of weird ways that incentives can drive the opposite behavior from what you'd like. I think that wealthy people should pay more. There should be progressive income tax. I agree. I think that wealthy people should pay considerably more. It seems like a wealth tax might be the cleanest way to get there. Can you explain that? Uh, wealthy people don't always make straight income they have there's different kinds of income they have they can defer their income they can take loans out because they own a company that's worth billions of dollars and technically have no income but just borrow against the company such that they are never taxed on their income Mm -hmm. they can uh, continually invest in new real estate things like donald trump did Mm -hmm. so i don't know that income tax is the best i've heard that europe's vat value-added tax is a good way to get you know to handle the corporate tax because as you add value to a product, that's when you're taxed. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm for wealthy people spending more of their money. I do think that California has gotten to an obscene level of taxes, though. Yeah, that's that's the, the cut and dry, right? Like you raise the taxes more and more, people are just going to leave. And we've been seeing that. Well, right? this is, I mean, so as a, I think I'm a fairly wealthy California resident. I live in Santa Monica. The, the on the ground feel is that, and, and this can be like a boo-hoo feeling, but it is, I, I know, I think shared, is that California hates you is kind of how it feels. <laughs> like, really? like the government, yeah, that the government doesn't like you is is the feeling that you get if you make a lot of money. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm in the bottom of, I would say, the 1% of California, right? Because I have the YouTube channel, we generate money, but it's uh, that they see you kind of as the problem is, is part of it. The, and additionally, what, what has been interesting is I think there's an increasing distrust in the California government to actually use that money effectively. When I lived here three, four years ago, 
it was a cleaner, nicer place to live in. The taxes were the same, and we've watched services fall apart. I remember, man. I remember when I first started coming here three years ago. I used to go walk down like, a yeah. couple of blocks down into to Box and Burn, and there was like maybe one homeless person. Yeah. I wouldn't even notice him. And now, over the years, it's like it's a city yeah. of homeless people yeah. everywhere. Uh, and that leads into the second point. Well, just uh, to, just to finish that thought, sure. I don't I don't have any sense that more taxes to California makes social problems any better. Is the, issue, the feeling the that issue I have. Is the management seems like of a black, money. seems like a bottomless pit of problems that they don't solve by taking more of your money. Um, and in fact, that they're administratively seems to be doing things worse. So I have a, um, I like the idea of government spending a ton of my money to like solve homelessness and i don't mean pay for homes i mean like figure out the root causes of it and address them at the root causes i i really like that as an idea i would spend even more of the uh my effective tax rate if there wasn't a pro- if there was an actual solution that worked i would i would go even higher than i'm spending but i don't have faith in them to uh to do that why is that not a thing why can't we know where the tax money is going I uh, don't. I mean, why is it not a thing? I'm sure there's. That's a very complicated question that I don't know the answer to. I suppose there's there's uh, t- practical reasons why it's very hard to track money, but also um, they don't want you to see necessarily where your money is go <gasps> is going. Conspiracy. I mean, I worked. Charlie. I worked in the government. I worked at, at a private consulting firm, and uh, dude, government is necessary. And I watched how easy and wasteful it is at the same time. My, the firm that I worked at would always make their biggest contracts at the end of the fiscal year because mm. what the government agencies know is that if you don't spend the money, they're going to cut your budget. So they would give us projects that were that were not necessary, where essentially we'd, we'd spend then months doing reports on how they could save money that they would not implement because they weren't interested in the first place. They Got were it. just, there was a lot of posturing for their boss so that they could get an improvement. And that's the problem with government is that their incentives are not aligned to be productive their incentives are aligned to uh they don't need productivity in order to continue to get revenues from their citizenry right they don't they don't need to actually be more productive they just need to raise taxes and and individual departments they don't print tons of money or print tons of money they don't need to actually um effectively do a service they just need to convince the people who allocate budgets that they should get a raise so um yeah that problem I saw it. I saw it firsthand. It was yeah. frustrating. It was one of the reasons that I left. I was like, they're not even, I'm working hard on these things that they're not even. They don't care about. They don't care. They're not even doing it. They're not even trying. We would find, it was boring stuff, but we would find, for instance, that they were buying all of their toilet paper. They weren't bundling it, right? They were, they were like buying it in one off. So we're like, okay, if you guys bundle this stuff and you buy it, you can get this expected discount and this thing. They're just like, yeah, fuck it. We don't want to. The good, the, the servicemen don't like that. Fine. You know what I mean? Like they, they want to be able to go in with their, their government issued card and purchase it one offs. But mm-hmm. we told you this is what we were going to do. We told you that we were going to find ways that you could, which items you could take together. You, bundle so them. what was your department exactly? What were you doing? Just cutting? No, no, no. What we were doing costs? was it was a lot of cost saving stuff, a lot of Excel. And so I would just get these massive documents of everything that the government bought, every product that they bought, every price that they paid. And so I could still be missing elements of it, like, oh, this one we had to pay more for because it was on short notice or whatever. But but there were still things that we found in there, like, hey, when you purchase from this particular vendor, it costs more money. And we'd ask, Does the, do they do anything different? No, but this guy's got a relationship with them. So, you know what I mean? And it was just like, okay, well, you're spending, it's not huge, but you're spending 5% more and you're you're purchasing millions of dollars of it. Like, you paid, you could pay for 
everything that you spent on us just by not using that particular distributor. And for whatever internal reasons, they didn't care often. Now, that's not to say always. Sometimes they would, but far more often than I was comfortable with shit moves slow or not at all. Um, and so it was frustrating. Damn. All right. Well, that's why you're an Excel wizard. <laughs> All right, number two, homeless emergency. We've spoken about this before. Homeless emergency. <laughs> Housing for all homeless within 60 days via emergency powers. I don't know what that means. Medical and substance, mental health, and educational support immediately available. Three meals per day and centralized support for all homeless immediately. No one lives on the streets in our state anymore within 60 days. Do you think that's possible? I don't know. What, what I think, what I would like to see is just split testing. Like, I think... I think short-term split tests are excellent ideas and they should treat neighborhoods in certain ways and just find out which, like, if providing them all with housing, three square meals, educational services, and uh, mental, health. mental health drug rehabilitation services is effective, then roll it out everywhere. Mm. Uh, but I also don't think, like, the idea that, that he's going to come in, no offense, Kevin, with no experience, to my knowledge, in mental health services or homeless, and he's going to solve a problem that has proven intractable in two months is ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, and I understand he has to say that. I don't fault him. He's fine. He's, he's politicking. But uh, I, I, I suspect that's not how it's going to go if, it. were he elected. Got it. But I am totally for his attitude of like, we're going to solve this. We're going to figure this out. And I think the answer is a bunch of different tests to see what works. And also research into other cities as, as to what has worked or hasn't worked in, in the past. Got it. This next point is my favorite point home i think you're gonna like it too <laughs> future schools at 14 students have a choice to attend a future school combines college trade school high school and financial education students graduate debt free for free at 18 ready for career placement in partnership with small medium and large businesses throughout california so essentially it's um right now it's a massive business this is jake tran fellow mm -hmm. it's amazing uh he did a great mini doc video on schools and business, the, how their businesses, right? And how really the student is the product. And we're seeing it now. So many people, this is the age old conversation. So many people are coming out with useless degrees. They don't, you know, can't get a job. What Kevin's saying is like, okay, hey, let's combine these people to actually have some practical knowledge in the real world. If they so choose also with financial education, and then they can go out into the real world and actually do something, right? Um, what do you think? I think an interesting question, I guess, at the base of it is what is the purpose of public education? Um, Naval has said that it's 80% babysitting, which I think is, <laughs> is, is an interesting insight. Uh, and then I guess what is it? It's to be a good person and a good citizen? I don't know. But there were certainly things that we learned that in retrospect were, were waste of time. The way that we learned other things, like the way that we went through history – was so silly. Like, what was the date of this particular battle? battle? Oh, it was that was in 1620. Like, who? Um, even at the time, even even when Google really wasn't a thing. Like, to why are we learning this was never discussed. And and what was just thrown at you? Those who do not understand history are condemned to repeat it. But we weren't even trying to understand history. We were recalling dates and names. So, I guess if I were to think about what education should be, I like that he is focused on the practical think that's good i also think that there needs to be an element of education that is not as focused on the practical which is the philosophical side which which has no immediate use and in fact can often breed 
um, counterculture things, right? Uh, That's but, a good thing in a place like the United States. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. Like some type of diversity of thought. Yeah. But no, I'm generally speaking, I'm, I'm for uh, investigating the, like as I look back at the curriculum and the ways that we were taught, I see a, term, I would, I don't want to send my kid into a public school. I'm not going to send a private school. I would homeschool him if I ever had children. You would homeschool? 100%. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Would you not? What would you do? Probably private school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I went to, I did them all. I did private, I did Catholic school, and then I did public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my best experience was in a private school. Way more one-on-one attention with the teacher. Teachers are a lot more, I guess, verified on how to teach. Um, they probably are paid more, so it's pro- yeah. likely more competitive. And Yeah. I don't know about homeschooling. I've just never met a kid that's... That was you get some strange homeschool kids. Yeah, I just don't want my kids to be weird. I think I know my friend is homeschooled. He's a weird guy. He's my most successful friend. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Well, I think there's uh, always most pros successful and cons. traditionally. Right. He's got a lot of cash in the bank. <laughs> uh, He's got a lot of crypto. <laughs> yeah. He's. A, I'm not homeschooled. It's not me. Um, there's pros and cons. I think homeschooled. Yeah, you get. To think outside of the box, you get more attention, you get to learn more from your parents, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't get the necessary challenges of like being well, potentially bullied or seeing bullying. I or agree. Something so or sports. I think he says it's 80%, uh, 80, Naval is something like 80% babysitting, 19% socialization, 1% education. And I, and I do agree that having to mix with a, a group of cretins you know what i mean just like these mean the kids. worst kids ever you know that are not their parents didn't pay for them to go somewhere nice like there's value in that um mm-hmm. and not that i mean i grew up in the suburbs it wasn't like super hard knock life but just having to mix with a bunch of different kids is valuable and i and i do that is my one worry about homeschooling if i were to have kids is that it would lead them socially stunted but i think that there's solutions around that where you can get like a group of kids kids that are homeschooled yeah and i think you also need to leave kids alone with other kids for periods of time to like see what happens sort out the weird lord of the fly stuff that goes on when kids are left by themselves that's uh, character i think it's important well you know gabor mate you know him no gabor mate is um a trauma psychologist who is tim ferris is a fan he's had him on the podcast all that kind of stuff one of the things that he says is that the problem of one, the main problem or one of the main problems in today's society is that we have outsourced parenting to the peer group. And that if, according to him, if you look back how kids were raised, like kids slept with on their mother, between their mother and their father, like for hundreds of thousands of years. Of, till, till what age? Uh, bef- I'm, I'm going back like 10,000 years. Got it. Like there's no public school. Like they're learning next to their mother and their father and their other tribe people. And obviously they spend time with kids, but the amount of adult time that we had was far higher. Now what we have is all the adults go off into these workplaces, no kids allowed. One adult stewards 30 children and most, and then they're on, and then mostly the children raise themselves. And if you, a lot of the traumas that people have today come from their time being surrounded by other kids. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I guess I don't know if it's really it's if it builds character or if I just look at the flaws in the system as I had it and I think that that's is how it ought to be but like maybe kids should have 
fewer time just in the Lord of the Flies <laughs> playground, yeah. and there should be more adult intervention and more adult uh, influence. I don't know. Well, I would argue with uh, that guy. That Gabor. Yeah. yeah. That um, I feel like more and more anecdotally, um, people are kids are being raised by the internet, uh, mm, and like which the, is perhaps even worse. <laughs> yeah, it depends who you go to. Right? And he like, does. I think he he does. You wouldn't be arguing with him in this case. I think he does say that it's the screen and the other kids that are raising our our youth these days. Got it. Yeah, because like I was watching the JRE when I was fifteen, <laughs> and just gobbling up all the information over <laughs> there. I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome. Yeah. Right, and I didn't pay that much attention in school yeah. <laughs> or to the teachers. Yeah. Well, so what was the question with regards to me, Kevin? I forget. Oh, is transforming education. I think it's good to experiment. Um, I think a, a practical bent is good. I somehow, there was a class that we had on personal finance that nobody took because they made it so unappealing to young kids. But in retrospect, that's one of the things that if I'd, if I'd had any concept of what it meant to pay back $100,000 worth of student loans, I'd have made very different decisions. Mm. And, and I wish that I, not wish, everything turned out okay, but I would teach kids to, f- to be a little bit more concerned with debt, I think, and to have a, a tighter grasp of, of finances than, than I did when I was going through all that stuff. Yeah. 100% agree. We don't have to go through the rest of the points. Are there other ones that are interesting? There's, there's literally 18 others. So We don't have to. Are there I'll any others it. that you found interesting or no? Uh, oh, this is something. Because I've never experienced this in LA. No more blackouts. You guys get blackouts? I haven't experienced it. Have you experienced it, Justin? Like power outs? Yeah. So. No. Not at all. Because apparently, like, Valuetainment did the same thing. And they were talking about it. And apparently, they're... Their studio gets a blackout like three times a week, and everything just gets shut down because so many people are pumping up the AC uh, that they just have to shut down certain areas of the city. Maybe they treat Santa Monica kindly. I don't know, or maybe Santa Monica is on a different section of the grid because I know that technically we're not Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yeah, technically we're like Santa Monica County or something. Oh, well, just want to bring that up. <laughs> that, that was surprising to me. I'm like, what? How is that even possible? That in uh do we have questions yeah we do so we will uh ivan if you feel like you want to answer and you have something to add go for it cool first one is i strongly identify with charlie's hatred of scheduling things and desire to maximize freedom however i recently read carl jung's theory about the eternal child syndrome which is common in people with traumatic childhoods the eternal child lives a, uh, a temporary life doesn't connect with others and fears getting stuck do you think it's wise to explore more closely one's intense pursuit of freedom if there is trauma in the past, or is this just a personality trait? I sometimes wonder if my intolerance for any restriction stems from seeing my alcoholic parents stuck in their awful marriage and substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is definitely value in that, for sure. Uh, there's also value, I mean, you can come at that from two angles in. You can say, hey, I likely have this trauma from my childhood, and I want to explore that. And you can also say, I have symptoms of what is potentially caused by trauma and you can go into the symptoms uh the older i get the more i see that like everybody's personality is is a culmination of their past which includes trauma so everything that i am is is a bit a bit of a trauma response and i think what makes what the question is which of those responses are hindering my flourishing 
and hindering your flourishing. There's a degree to which you could argue, like, I'm, I don't like commitment in a million forms, that that is, um, that is hindering me. I would love to discuss it with someone who felt differently. Actually, this is a thing. So Jordan Peterson, I was watching, and he is, he's so big on marriage, and we've kind of talked about it on the podcast, and he, he really speaks very disparagingly of my approach, which is, like, I'm, I'm in, I get in relationships, but I do not want to put a ring on any finger, and I don't want to promise, I don't want to make a promise that I can't keep, or that would be highly difficult to keep and that's like the value of marriage for him is that even when it's hard you have to stick together and to me that's the entire argument against marriage um, but didn't he like he's speaking for a, a culture as a whole he's saying like culturally speaking, it's best for society i agree with him, all culture, the men to yeah, be married no, i totally agree with him for, on a cultural thing and you could argue that i'm not doing my kantian duty by like living in a way that i wish everyone else would but yeah i agree it's good for culturally it's good for the uh a stable marriage to be a foundational unit of society. But he does also argue for the individual. Um, and I'd be curious what he felt about my particular case, and maybe one day we'll have him on, but... Uh, maybe the older you get, because right now you're a young guy. Yeah. Right? You don't the other have thing, to commit. Well, I'm also at an age, which is interesting, where it's, it's not clear. Um, I'm 33. People around me are committing. And right now in the timeline, it is really good for them. Like, they really like their partner. They're having babies. They're happy that they're having babies. Um, and we will see is kind of how I feel, though, because I, as much as I, w I don't want this for any of the people that I care about, it is very likely that some portion of them, we'll see how big it is, wind up disliking and despising their partner, getting divorces, and having tremendous issues around the 40s and whatever, which is just, that is the arc. So you're trying to avoid that trap with this path that you're going I on. think the trap of commitment is always that you will no longer that you will be in a different position or be a different person or that the person that you've committed to will be a different person and you are no longer interested in that foreverness because it was an impossible promise to make in the first place that that I will love you forever is is an ideal but impossible promise mm. um my grandma told me something that she said uh you have to fall in love with the person's principles mm -hmm. and like what they stand for. Cause if they're the correct person, yeah. uh, they'll never change those, not the flashy stuff on top. Um, and I feel like a lot of people now just fall in love with the flashy stuff on top. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that? That statement? I think that that's a, a way to, I think what people try to do and were successful in earlier generations, I don't even know if they were more, I think they probably just had more unhappy marriages. Um, <laughs> stuck around you can stack the deck in your favor you can wait till after you're 30 to get married you can marry someone based on principles and not just physical attraction you can do all sorts of things um and there, there's obviously no guarantees in life at all but this is a particularly this is a particularly uncertain area it's not like you're 99 percent likely to stay together even if you do everything right you're probably more like 80 percent likely which is still a huge 20 percent of a devastating divorce um, and when I see what divorce has done to people, it seems too risky for the, and then the benefit that I'm promised is, is a depth of relationship. But I, I don't know. I like my, I like, I have my friends. I, I love the, I love when I'm dating someone, I love that woman. Like there's no empty hole that you're trying to fill. 
The only potential empty hole would be bank account <laughs> after a divorce. <laughs> no, um, it would be children. And I have not yet uh, felt the desire for that. So I don't know. But, but I've, I've, str I've strayed from the question. A oh, yeah. Bit. I've strayed from the question. Is right. it a problem? Um, it's worth looking into. It is something that I look into. I remain open to, to changing my opinion about commitment. And um, yeah, I'm not, it's not something that I am, am, am committed to for life. <laughs> I guess this is the thing. <laughs> I have no commitments. I won't even defend my my unwillingness to commit. I might change my mind on that. I what guess a paradox. That's, that's the ultimate. <laughs> what about the quote that's, uh, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall over for everything or something like that. Yeah, I think that there's... Um, what do you say to that? What do you say to that? Charlie Hooper? Uh, I, I, the context in which I think that makes a ton of sense is like, if you don't have principles, yeah, you, you're, you're easy to, to sway and persuade and to make do unethical and moral things. I, I have principles. I have moral principles. And do you that commit I'm, to those principles? Yeah, I guess the things that I don't commit to are, um, well, even those principles are, are, I'm open to revisiting them, but I'm, I'm firmer in that. And I am semi-firm in my relationships, my dating relationships. I'm, I'm quite firm in them. Uh, I'm just unwilling to make lifelong commitments to anything, I suppose. And that's what is terrifying, not terrifying, maybe perhaps about marriage and a kid is that marriage, you make a promise that you will try and, mo and many people fail and children, you, you, you have to, or else mm -hmm. you are a poor parent, which is, I think a, a huge failing. So yeah, I'm committed. I'm just, I just struggle with lifelong commitments. <laughs> Where'd you get this lesson from? Who taught you this? Psychedelics what? taught me what? This, like not to commit, just life experience. Um, revisiting my prior beliefs has taught me that. So like mm. if you'd, if you'd, I mean, I got a tattoo that I thought was the coolest thing and it's okay now. And I got, you know, what I was say secret to freedom is courage, which is exactly, you know, freedom, freedom, freedom. Um, I was convinced that I'd want to travel the world forever. You know, I couldn't imagine stopping. Why would anyone ever not want to do this? And I'm like, I don't want to leave my apartment. <laughs> uh, I've just had so many phases of, how could I ever want this to change and then experience that changing that I, I don't trust myself to be ecstatic in my desires and in my anything. So that's why I don't make promises that are outside of a certain window. And that's why I try to keep freedom open, even on the ma the micro level of, do you want to go to dinner tonight? Maybe it's, it's noon right now. It's impossible to plan with, with Charlie. It's Is impossible. It, yeah. Yeah. But I, I still go to dinner sometimes, you know? Yeah. I, so, sometimes I go. Sometimes I don't. I just, I've learned, I just disappoint people when I say yes and then don't want to go. And then, or. Disappoint I, yourself. I wind up, I wind up frustrated because I didn't want to do it. So I just tell people, don't, don't count on me. I'll be there sometimes. Um, operate around me and you'll see me a good portion of the time. So. Cool. That answer the question we're good? I don't know. But yeah. It's, it's <laughs> worth looking into for me and for you is, is the short answer. Um, doesn't mean that we have to change it, but it's it's a good thing when everybody tells you that this is likely a, a personality trait based on trauma. It's worth considering. Next is you mentioned documentaries on World War II and other history. I'm fascinated to know which one would you recommend most. Any docs that you love? So the one that I watched was called World War II in Color. That was on Netflix. Enjoyed it like. Binge, I've never binge-watched documentary series before. There's eight or eight or nine. It's somewhere between eight and ten episodes, and I, and I 
breezed through it. They were an hour really? long. Yeah, it was so good. Oh. You should watch it. I'll watch it. No, yeah. I haven't seen any. Do you know anything about World War II? A little bit. I got a little bit of Canadian history. Dude, it's, but, uh, it's so fascinating. I, I'm super fascinated. I went on like a month spree of just researching World War One, mm. um, because it's like no one really speaks about that war yeah. uh, and like how devastating it was because it was the first time ever where brand new technology was being put into place against uh, like almost ancient war Strategy. strategies yeah. like the French coming in with 10,000 cavalry men <laughs> and Germans just had machine guns like wow. that type of that's never been seen before mm -hmm. uh, because then after that world war two was mostly trench warfare right it was this very stale no 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 no, no, no. world war one was trench warfare world war two was dynamic world war two was a blitzkrieg across France and then uh fighting over England and then a pushback into the continent and there was fighting going on it I mean world war two is it's got everything. It's it's, yeah. it's such a dynamic war. Plus, you've got the Pacific Theater. Like, it's it's got a lot of different stuff. Mm. Um, another documentary that I thought was really interesting. Maybe we'll talk about it if I ever rewatch it. Was Cartel Land? That one was just fascinating. It's this guy goes into Mexico and uh, chronicles a, a doctor who stood up to the cartels and became sort of a local hero, and not knowing what would happen, it. It chronicles how, well, I won't spoil it for you. Um, it's just, it's really interesting. The power of the cartels, the, the horror of what they do, and how the system incorporates the fight against it into ultimately not much success. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, like they... It's 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 very interesting. The cartels are the reason why I'm Canadian. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Batman's family's from El Salvador. Well, from El Salvador, but like the Mexican cartels that you're speaking about. Like yeah. my parents got married in Mexico City in like the '80s, and that's really when all this stuff started going on. Like the whole gang started like rising. Uh, war against drugs really helped their business out, <laughs> and then my parents were like, all right, let's get out of here, and then they went to Canada. Yeah. No, it's great. You haven't seen Cartel Land? No, it's good. All right, take a look, see. All right, we'll do. But yeah, those are the two that I come to mind. Nice. This one is one that Ivan can also answer. Uh, so, hey, Charlie and Ivan, I have a question to ask. Did you have one of your employees make a TikTok page to promote Charisma on Command? I'm wondering because I came across a Charisma on Command TikTok page and it looked legitimate, but I wasn't sure, so I just wanted to ask in case. I'll take this one. <laughs> yes, you're 100% right. We have multiple I think we have Russian as well. Uh, yeah, we started doing TikTok and again, did fairly well, got a bunch of views, um, but it's hard to make sales on such a short little funnel. And that's what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. It's like, it's a good place to potentially bring them um, into the actual video mm -hmm. that will make a sale, but just in it by itself, it's not the greatest. Um, but yeah, that's us. Yeah, Ivan Ivan was working on that for a while with, with our video editor. But I think we're going to, we might continue to post some. We're going to try shorts on YouTube, which obviously have the thumbnail and the title, which can help you go a little bit further, which we spoke about. All right, next is, uh, in the last episode, we talked about why the minimum wage was so low. I think I understand Charlie's point by bringing up the consumers and the lack of willingness to pay higher for the quote-unquote ethical McDonald's burger versus the low-cost one, but the executives that run these companies still get huge payouts. Isn't this more of a redistribution issue rather than about the price of food? 
I think many people think these companies can afford to increase wages at the lower end by cutting the excessive wages at the higher, although not necessarily backed by their finance statements, et cetera, but by disdain of the amounts the CEOs get paid. Yeah. I think that, uh, well, I actually don't know. Let's assume that that's right. Let's assume that executive pay across America could be slashed to a degree that um, there's a meaningful increase in, in the wage of frontline workers. You would obviously need government. A raising of the minimum wage would <laughs> may not have that effect because whether we like it or not, and I, and I don't know if it's 100% true, there's, there's a marketplace for executives as well, such that the CEO or the COO of McDonald's can't just, can also go to Wendy's, but can also go to like some different industry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's true because I've never been in one of those big corporate organizations, but it seems like those people are capable of occasionally having such a dramatic impact that they generate through their presence hundreds of millions or billions of dollars by changing the strategy of, exactly. of an organization. And that means if they, can, if they can have that amount of impact that the organizations bidding for them to come work there can pay them millions and millions and millions of dollars. And so if you're whatever, some super hotshot CEO and you can have that impact and you're like most other Americans and that you just want more money, <laughs> right? You're going to like take the job that gives you more money. Uh, you're going to go to the one that pays you the most. And, we, and then we just enter back into this game, which is now these corporations have to compete for these guys who can make the most sales. So what you would have to have, I don't necessarily think is a raising of the minimum wage as much as, and perhaps there's a workaround for this, as a limitation on the multiple that a C that a C-suite executive can make above the lowest paid employee. So that's that's very different than a minimum wage. And yeah. that what that that does is that directly ties executive pay to the frontline employee as opposed to raising the minimum wage that can be that can be um the money for that can be gotten elsewhere. Um yeah. at the end of the day these uh conglomerates these monopolies are servants to the public market, the investors. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're always in perpetual growth. So exactly like you said, like they're doing everything that will grow and grow and grow. And if you, that market is bidding on these new C-suite execs, then they're just going to get going to continue to get paid. So just like every other argument, it's a it's a fault of the system and incentives, not of the actual people well, inside. I, well, you can say. What well, is? I guess what I'm saying is that it's the people at every level have the same incentives that they're just exercising to different capabilities, right? Like the minimum wage worker is going to go to the job that pays him the most, and the mm-hmm. CEO who makes ten million dollars is going to go to the job that pays him twenty million, and the one who makes a hundred is going to want to make two hundred. Um, it seems that human greed, particularly you know, in, is just mo- often unbridled. It's it, it's a rare person that that takes the lower paying job and if they do then they're not the cutthroat guy that is going to succeed (laughs) at that at that thing so it's i was even just thinking as you were talking what i suggested which i've heard suggested before is the idea that you would tie ceo pay to the frontline employee pay so that you can only make 30 times more than a frontline employee or something but then what people would do is automate yeah as much of the business as they could fire all of the frontline employees and such that there was only like ceo engineers who were making $250,000 a year and a bunch of robots and then they could make the same amount of money. So yeah, it's, it's tough. I think with legislation, what you're often doing is you're fighting against like 
the force of human nature, which in this case is to maximize one's self-interest. And it's not, I don't want to say just human nature. It's human nature plus cultural teachings plus religion or lack of religion teachings that, to tell people what to value. And you can legislate around it all you want by raising the minimum wage and doing all sorts of things. And I think that can have some sort of positive effect, but, but it's you're fighting an uphill battle against what the, the direction that people will, people will find workarounds to that. So am I for the raising of the, min- the federal minimum wage? I actually don't have a strong opinion. I don't know a lot about it, but I do suspect that, eh, you know what? Honestly, it's not going to have a big impact. Go for it. <laughs> you know, like if, if people are, are clamoring for it, Milton Freeman would say that, you know, Milton Freeman? Yep. He would say that you're just screwing the people on the bottom who now have no skills but can't even get a job. They can't, now they can't lower the cost of their labor to compete and to learn skills it's a big complicated. That's what I was going to say. It's like, especially now, like you really have to have the ability to learn new skills. Quickly, well, this is, I feel right? like money would be in terms of the government, where could you intervene? Could you demand that businesses pay people more? I feel like it would be to have, um, valuable free education. And I don't mean K through 12 and I don't mean college. I, I mean, agree. I mean like practical, genuine, valuable, free education to take that person who can only command a minimum wage and help them go forget minimum wage i can command more than that you know like i can i have this skill because i went to this particular program that seems like it would be better than demanding that a business that doesn't you know that doesn't want the walmart greeter to make any more money because they don't really feel like they need them or they feel like anyone can do this to to teach to i guess to raise the productivity level of the american workforce and let me be clear i am not advocating free college education because i do not think the college comes anywhere near doing that um and we've talked about that a ton on the yeah podcast. and also legislation it's like they do one foul swoop where yeah. they're like looking at walmart and these big guys but also there's small mom and pop shops that now have to raise the prices on everything for those minimum wage workers that are buying from there mm-hmm. right so it's like this kind of never ending circle of are you really helping well this is the question it's like who can absorb the minimum wage better amazon oh no they're gonna get screwed out of screwed forget you know they're gonna rightfully pay billions of dollars okay they can take that easy the the small business that was barely hanging on against amazon that has much tighter margins and doesn't have economies to scale <laughs> like like all of a sudden their prices have to go up dramatically to reflect it jeff bezos makes a little bit less money but guess what now he owns every single niche in america because you have effectively made the the one thing that the small business could compete against, which yeah, was Amazon, man, they just bought, um, what do they buy? MGM, the lion yeah. face. Yeah. He owns every, buying everything. He's got everything. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This is the weirdness of, of macroeconomics is that you try to do one thing and you get a completely different outcome. So yep. I don't have strong policy ideas on, on macro or like, I guess give it, a, I would say, here's my strongest thing. Instead of doing it federally, do it, that's why I like the states. See what works best. And I would say what works best is not what makes the GDP go the highest, but what raises the quality of, you know, median quality of life the highest. Um, measure that as best you can and then roll that out. If that's no minimum wage, great. If that's $28 minimum wage, great. Um, that would be my, what I would do. Yep. Cool. Last is... The YouTube algorithm has hooked me in with the Dragon's Den's clips, and I've been binging them for the past <laughs> week as a guilty pleasure. 
Uh, but the idea crossed my mind, and I wonder if Ben and Charlie would be interested in doing a breakdown of some of the best and worst business ideas in the show and what a fresh entrepreneur can do to help get investors interested in their product. It mixes both the business and charisma aspect of what Charlie and Ben like to discuss. Yeah, Ben just did one on uh, Shark Tank, so I'll, I'll let him know. I think the business... Didn't the, we do that exact thing? So he, he took it from a charisma perspective, because the truth is that's where we're better. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes... Uh, people, myself included, because they have had success in one area in business can can extend that to think that they can evaluate the business model of anything and give it a pass or a fail grade. So we could do that. It might be interesting to to crack it. And some of them are so patently flimsy that you don't need to be an expert to see that they're not good ideas. Yeah. But then also, like, some of the biggest successes on Shark Tank was there was this sponge that you put your fingers in and it was like a smiley face and are you serious yeah and i, I was like i look at this and no, nothing wrong with the business model but i go this is dumb and then it's like the most successful thing that has ever been on shark tank was a was a dish thing with a smiley face built into it and two fingers and a you like you hold it like this that's hilarious yeah two two fingers for the eyes and one for the smile it's just i don't get it so yeah i'll let ben know i think that's it for today thank you ivanos thanks for, for having me man for joining uh I think Ben will be back next week. But if you want to see more, we're going to have a little bit extra on Patreon because Ben is not here. We're going to take this one week and not have him. But generally speaking, we take another hour or so, answer questions, digress as often as we do when answering them, and basically have a full other podcast. So if you want to support us, you can check that out. Also, if you want to buy our courses, we got Charisma University. If you're interested in any of the business stuff that we talked about, I believe it's ebonpagantraining.com slash charisma is the the business course that I most recommend to beginners. And I think it's uh, $99 if you use that link. And it's, I think, 1000 if you don't. So, wow. yeah, pretty cool discount. Good so that's you. it for today. Hope that you guys enjoyed the cast. See you next time. Peace. Adios. <laughs>